Father in heaven, who at the baptism of Jesus in the river Jordan didst proclaim him thy beloved Son, and anoint him with the Holy Spirit, grant that all who are baptized into his name may keep the covenant they have made, and boldly confess him as Lord and Savior, who with thee in the same Spirit liveth and reigneth one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. That's the Collect appointed for today, January the 9th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. You can probably tell if you're if you're kind of a regular listener, you could probably tell that I've, that I've got a little bit of a, a head cold or something going on. I did go, because I had some exposure uh, to COVID, I did actually go and get tested. I haven't heard yet whether I have COVID or not. Um, if I do, then, well... We're in pretty good shape right now. <laughs> I wouldn't complain about what I have. It feels like a head cold. Um, I'm hoping that that's exactly what it is. So anyway, we <laughs> it's been kind of a busy week for us. We had you know a few things that we needed to get taken care of. We've had some cold weather this week. It's nice because I love cold weather. Um, but it's it's been a time of change and, and renewal and all that kind of stuff for us as we start this new year and, and move into what we hope is is going to be a great year and a year of change for us is is our it's our hope at least that we're going to be making some changes in our lives this year as far as <clears throat> like where we are and all that kind of stuff so um just you know nothing exciting going on uh, we've got an appointment so if you keep it in in your prayers we've got an appointment in, in two weeks well a little less than that now just about 11 days um over at duke we're going to go over there and um Will's going to see a neurologist finally after six months is how long it's taken to get that set up. So we're headed over there in, in about, like I said, in about 10, 11 days, and uh, we'll see. He hasn't had a seizure in quite a while now, so hopefully that's just part of the recovery process, right, and learning how to kind of manage the body and all that. So we, um, yeah, so it's time for things to change. It's time to, to be able to make some new moves, I believe, and go in, in some different directions with with where we are but but we're doing well and uh, i hope you are as well so today what we do is we celebrate uh on the sixth uh so three days ago we would celebrate um, what's known as the feast of the epiphany and in some places it's called um the day of the three kings it's when the magi came and um to the to the birthplace of Jesus and, and brought gifts and so again you know i've said this before but we have no earthly idea how many magi came um, we know there were three gifts, and so we come down to three kings. Um, whether that's true or not, nobody actually has any earthly idea. We just know that they brought three gifts. So it, it's it, we're beginning to move into this season now of Epiphany that will last all the way through until Lent. And so we've got about seven weeks, I think it is, this time. We've got seven weeks until Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and it's um, it's a time of, of reflecting on the continuing revelation of Jesus in his life uh, in in the Gospels. And it, it's interesting if, if you're a creedal Christian, you know, if you sort of come from a more liturgical background, then you're probably familiar with saying the creeds. And it's, it's remarkable how very little there is <laughs> that we confess about Jesus in the creeds. Um, about his life, we confess a lot. We, we confess his birth, his death, his uh, it's and the trial, but we don't 
spend any time in those creeds at all on the life of Jesus. And so what we need to do in this season of time is we focus on the life of Jesus. And so the first Sunday is always the baptism of the Lord. So the first Sunday after Epiphany is always a reflection on the baptism of the Lord, because as he was revealed to the Gentiles, through uh, represented by the Magi, uh, on Epiphany. So today we, we look at the baptism of Jesus, and, and I want to look at it in light of um, our baptism. And, and, and all I can do <laughs> is reflect on what Anglicans do at baptism, um, because there's, there's a couple of places um, when I'm absolutely certain Anglicans get things more right than, than anybody else. Um, I think baptism is one of those. I'm positive marriage and funerals are the others, because in both those cases, what we do is we make sure that everything stays focused on him, the one who ordained marriage, the one um, we take vows before to, to remain together. And then in the funeral service, you know, a lot of funeral services kind of devolve into not, not much more than a reflection on the life of the person who has passed away. And there's nothing wrong with reflecting on that. But the only reason to be joyous at a funeral. The only reason to have hope at a funeral is because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so we do that really well. <laughs> we focus on that. And so, like I said, there's some places where I just have to say we do it better. Um, and, and, and I'm not going to apologize for saying that. So, because <laughs> so, we keep the focus in the right place is the main thing. So today's lessons, the first lesson is, is from Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, it's going to be chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. And, and what he's prophesying about here in the, in the near term is the return of the people who have gone into exile in Babylon. It's the return of them to the land that we know happens in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah through um, King Cyrus of Persia, who, who sends them back. The Babylonians' tactic was to take the political prisoners or the lands that they had conquered, they would take them to Babylonia, and, and they did as they did here. They took the, the youngest and the brightest, and, and they tried to turn them into good little Babylonians as, as a way of saying that our culture is superior to your culture, and it produces superior results to your culture. And so that's the reason Daniel and his companions that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are actually their Babylonian names, and Daniel is a Babylonian name as well, but we know them because they were some of the youngest, best, and the brightest, and they were taken into the royal court and uh, were going to be trained up as Babylonians. And so they stood apart from that and said, we're, we're not going to become good little Babylonians worshiping your God. We have a God, and we have a culture, and the God that we celebrate and worship shapes our culture in unique ways. And so we can't just accept your culture without also accepting the religious thought that goes into that culture. So, no, we're going to stand apart from that. We appreciate what you're doing for us, but we're not going to eat the food that you give us because, well, it's not kosher, and then we're not going to bow down and worship your God because, well, that's not kosher either. So anyway, so this is the word in the short term. It's about the return of the exiles from Babylon to the land that will be accomplished, um, like I said, after Persia becomes ascendant and, and King Cyrus um, takes over. So, But the, there's a longer term view in here as well, and that's the ingathering of God's people, whether they be Israelites or the people that Jesus actually also redeemed. So it begins with, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. So both those names are the names of the, of the nation, because Jacob was the one from whom the, nations, uh, the nation 
got its founding, but he was given a new name, Israel, when he wrestled with God at the ford of the Jabbok River as he was going back into uh, the land where he was from to meet his brother, who last he heard was ready to kill him. So uh, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, it's speaking of the same thing, and that is the nation, the entire nation. All the tribes, not just the ones who were in exile in Babylon, but the tribes who had gone into exile before when Assyria conquered what was called the northern kingdom. After Solomon died, the kingdom was split into two pieces. Ten tribes were in the north, and two tribes were in the south. And those tribes up north were conquered about a 100 years prior to this time, and then they were just sent into exile among the nations. They weren't taken en masse to a place like Babylon as the southern kingdom had been. And so they were dispersed among the nations. So if you ever hear anybody talking about the lost tribes of Israel, it's those northern kingdom tribes that they're talking about. So, but here, when he uses, O Jacob and Israel, that should refer to the entirety of the nation. All those tribes, remember, are sons of Jacob. So he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you're mine. <clears throat> When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. There will be protection upon you, because I have redeemed you, and I have and not just called you out. I'm with you. <clears throat> when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, which is exactly what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior." I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you're precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. That's the first place in all of Scripture where God makes that declaration over his people. You are honored, and I love you. What a wonderful thing that is to even contemplate is being loved by the God who created the universe. That, that he's able to, that, that he's not just this, this distant and aloof God who created all things, which makes him great. And the fact that, that, you know, that we consider this to be a good place makes him good. But there's something beyond that, right? There's love. And the fact that, that the God who created all those things could love is, is actually a pretty remarkable thing. Because it's not normal <laughs> in religious um, thought. It is not normal to, that, that the God who created things also loves and redeems and saves people. That's not typically the relationship that you see in any other world religion. He says, fear not, for I am with you. I'll bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold, bringing my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And, and so what he's saying is, is it's not just you in Babylon that's going to come back into the land. It's going to be from all over the world. I will gather my people in this place. And, and I've said this before. I can't remember whether I've said it on Sunday or not. But one of the Jewish beliefs about the end times, actually, is that after judgment has taken place and God's ready to begin the new creation— people begin to be um, resurrected from the dead. And so those who are in the land at the time are the first ones resurrected. And then he gathers those from all over the world. And I'm not going to go into the mechanisms they propose for that. But, but at any rate, so, th- so you get the, the people in the land are resurrected first. And then the people from all over the world, they're resurrected and they're brought back to Jerusalem. And, and the, the way that they come back to Jerusalem involves a little bit of penance, 
because they shouldn't have been outside the land. They should have stayed there to protect the land and support the people. So they, they have this belief that, that there's pain involved in getting from wherever they're buried to the land. And so they get there, and then once all of Israel, all those from all over the world, have been gathered into Jerusalem, then, and only then, are Sarah and Abraham resurrected. And it's so that the first thing that the resurrected pair see is the fulfillment of God's promise regarding the number of people. What he said in the beginning uh, of this covenant with Abraham, that they would, that their descendants would be as countless as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. And so that they, they proposed that they would be the last ones resurrected in order that they would see the promise fulfilled and they could give such great glory to God when they see this huge throng gathered around them. And so in this passage, what we're hearing is, is that, that he's talking about the coming back to Jerusalem of the exiles, but... There's a larger uh, horizon in view, too, and that horizon is the horizon of um, the resurrection, the general resurrection of the dead, um, and the restoration of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven that we see in Revelation 21. So we, we see that those are the, the main things that, that this points to. It points to a near-term fulfillment, which is the rest the the uh, return of the exiles from Babylon, and then a longer-term horizon, which is the, the general resurrection of the dead after the judgment and the repopulation of the earth um, at that time. And so the, it's a promise not just to Israel, but to us. We share in that because we share in the covenant blessedness with them. In the gospel passage today, we see the actual... Uh, baptism of Jesus. And so it, it's an odd thing, to say the least, that Jesus comes to be baptized because the people are coming in response to John's message. And John's message has to do with come be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So people were coming and confessing their sins, and then they were going down into the Jordan River to be baptized, to wash away those sins and be cleansed from that sinfulness. And it's an odd thing, because John was doing this without saying, now go down to the synagogue, or the temple, I mean, and make the required sacrifices. John said that this baptism was for the remission of sin. And so the people were coming to John um, to receive that, believing that the baptism indeed itself would save them from their sins without the necessity of the sacrificial system, which we know is going to be done away with only about 35 years later when the temple is destroyed and it's never been rebuilt. Because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, once offered, was sufficient. There's no further sacrifice that's necessary, nor can it be made without diminishing the value of Jesus' sacrifice. So if you continue to offer sacrifices after you have received Jesus' salvation based on his sacrifice on the cross, then, then you have overthrown Jesus' sacrifice. You've said it's insufficient when God, in the resurrection, actually declared that it was sufficient. So the, the resurrection affirms God's acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice as sufficient. So we needn't make any further sacrifices. And so it, it, the temple being shut down should then also prompt us to consider that, that God said it is finished at that time. And, and so everything had to depend on, on faith. 
and so in this, but but that begs the question of why would Jesus have gone to be baptized? If it's for the remission of sin and Jesus was sinless, why did he do that? Well, it was to identify himself with sinners right at the outset of his ministry. So at the people, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So what he's saying is he's coming in judgment. And there's like two sides to judgment, right? One is to judge something as being good, and the other side is to judge something as being bad. And that's exactly what John says. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so he's going to gather the weed into the barn. He's judging this as worthy, and then he's judging the chaff by burning it with unquenchable fire. So there's two aspects of judgment. It's, it's that which is found worthy and that which is found unworthy. And he says, this one who is going to come is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so he said, and, and John's very clear, I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. You know, I, I could make some other um, thoughts on, on what that might look like in, in, our, uh, in our world today, but I think I'm going to refrain from that. Um, it's it, he, he's John is saying, you know, you might make much of me, and John's not making little of himself here. He's he considers his ministry to be incredibly important. Um, he he knows his uniqueness, and he knows that he is the voice crying in the wilderness to make way the the path of the Lord, and to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. That that's an important ministry. John's not doesn't have false humility in saying this. He's saying though that this one who is to come is so much greater than me that that it's not even it's ridiculous for you to even think about me being the Messiah. You see, you know, and what's odd is you see John, not John, Jesus's disciples. You see them uh, on the road coming back. Um, after the transfiguration, after Jesus has been able to heal um, the the son of the man, the, the son who has epilepsy and is continually being thrown into water and fire by this evil spirit, you see after that, on the road, as they're walking back, they're having a conversation about which one of you is the greatest. Well, who cares? Compared to Jesus, what possible difference does it make? Which of you is the greatest? Are you not even seeing the difference? between you and him. I mean, it's just remarkable that they would have such a conversation. But but it's it, John is clear on this. And when Jesus comes, not in this one, we don't see it. But uh, in in Luke's gospel, we don't see it. But in um, in Matthew's gospel particularly, we see John saying, you know, hey, I, I, I can't baptize you. You ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, it's got to be done to fulfill all righteousness. And so now, he says, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You're my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased. Well, that'll get your attention. <laughs> so Jesus is distinct from all others. And, and when he said to John that this has to be done, this baptism, uh, in order to fulfill all righteousness, then the confirmation of that, that it's true, and that this is a righteous thing, that Jesus is baptized even though he is sinless, the confirmation comes with that word 
from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. In other words, you did the right thing. You have begun the identification with sinners that will result in your going to the cross. But you had to take this first step because you could have said, no, I'm not going to go be baptized. Why would I be baptized? I'm not a sinner. But Jesus here aligns himself with sinful humanity. Prior to that, he had an option and a choice to continue to be who he was and to to just live out a really perfectly well-lived life, but he chose to align himself with sinful humanity completely by immersing himself in the water of baptism. It's a powerful statement that he makes in doing this, and so we see that, that he is not backing away from the ultimate mission, and the ultimate mission is going to lead to the cross. He knows this is the first step in the road to the cross, and it's a, a powerful, powerful thing that he would do such a thing. The, the other side of it, though, is, is that what does it mean for us? Well, it means for us that we have the possibility of salvation by believing in the name of Jesus. That's, that's the first implication of all of this, because he identified with us so that we can identify with him. Well, that's the bigger point to be made here is, is that we need to identify with him. Paul says that in Colossians 2.12. He says, We've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. He says a similar thing in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And he says we've already been resurrected. But it it requires us to understand that we've already died. We were dead in our trespasses. He didn't throw us a life preserver. He He didn't save us from death. We were dead. In sin, we had no life because we didn't have God. We had sin that defined us, and so Jesus takes that on. And so Paul says, look, if you've, been, if you've died with Christ in baptism, then, then you've got to put on Christ for the rest of your life. You, you've been resurrected from him. You, you, you owe your life to him, and you know now what pleases God, and what pleases God is what his son did. And we know it because he declared it even before the resurrection. So we know that that we are to be the same as him. We identify with him through the power of Christ. We identify with God, our creator, our lover, our father. We identify with him, but we also identify with those around us because it's our passion to be like him who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And so his mission was to save the world. And what does the Great Commission say? It's the same thing. Right? So it's to baptize people in the name of Jesus and, and then teach them everything that he commanded to make disciples of them. And so our mission becomes his mission, which means our heart has to be like his heart. We have to identify with sinners, too. We have to recognize that, that we need a Savior today just as much as we did the first day that we believed. And so that we have to completely and constantly identify ourselves as what we are and who we are, and that is we belong to him but we are also in need of him. 
every moment of every day. And so when, when John says that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, I'm only going to baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sins, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is he's going to give you something that you can live I, I'm uh, in a way that's better than you're capable of living now. You're going to have a power in you that, that enables you, if you cooperate it and live by it, to, to live in a different way, to live as Jesus lived. The power that he gives you is the power that was in him. And so in the epistle lesson, what we see is now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, after, the, after Stephen's stoning, Philip, one of the deacons, there was a, the persecution against the church began in Jerusalem at that time. And it says that everybody except the apostles fled from Jerusalem, which is odd because they were the ones who were like commanded to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Philip, though, he goes to Samaria, and I believe he did so because Jesus had already been there and done the pre-evangelism work that we see in John 4 with the uh, woman at the well. And because that town all accepted him. And so Philip goes to Samaria and spreads the word. So then they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for they had he had he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And in Anglicanism, we see that pattern uh as played out in baptism and confirmation. In, in baptism, it's the, the priest of the local parish that you go to who does the baptism. It requires a bishop, an apostle, which is what they, you know, that's what it is. It requires a bishop to come and lay hands. And when they lay hands on that person, they have to have already been baptized. They lay hands on them. And the thing that they say is receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the so the, we see that both those ministries in that little short passage, that they, they had received the baptism of Jesus, which is the water baptism, but they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. And so they came, and what we're told is they began to demonstrate that they had received the Holy Spirit at that time. But the way we get there is this twofold movement, right? So in, in, we baptize children, which makes this a little more difficult to go through, but what we do when we do baptism, we go through um, the creed and we, we ask, what do you believe? And that's the really important thing. But before that, before we ever get to that point, we have asked the parents uh, of children or we have asked the ones who are old enough to make these statements for themselves. We ask them some, some things here that, that, that look like exactly what Jesus is saying here, and that is Jesus is aligning himself with sinners. But aligning himself with sinners by, taking, by accepting baptism didn't separate him from, from the Father. Because, and we know that because of what the Father says at the time of the baptism. So, yes, this is fulfilling all righteousness, even if it is in, at some level an unnecessary step for Jesus. It is necessary in the plan of redemption and salvation that he do this. And so when we ask people, when people come to be baptized, we ask them six questions before we ask them what they believe. Right? So what we ask is this, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? And the answer is, I renounce them. The second question, do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? And the answer is, I renounce them. Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? And the answer is, I renounce them. And so what we're saying is, do you transfer your allegiance from the world to God? Do you recognize 
those powers that we've talked about, Satan, spiritual forces of wickedness, evil powers of the world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, and the desires within you. So we're going from sort of highest to lowest, I mean, or furthest away to most imminent, which are my own sinful desires. And we're asking the, the candidate if they will realign their loyalties. Are you going to identify, continue to identify with those things, or are you going to identify with Christ? But we have to first turn away from those things. This is sort of the process of repentance, actually, is to recognize those things for what they are. And then, after we ask about the renunciations, we don't need them to stay in this limbo state. No, we need you to move and identify with something new. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? I do. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. And it's on that basis that then we present those candidates for baptism. It's on the basis of you've realigned yourself from the world and from sin to Jesus. And now we're going to need to see it in your lives. It's the important thing that we do. And then we ask specifics about what people believe. And then we ask questions like, will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers, which is Acts 2.48, the early church pattern? Will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. I will with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? We strive for justice and peace among all peoples and respect the dignity of every human being. And the answer to all those is yes. But what we're asking them to do is change their allegiance, align themselves with him completely under Jesus, recognizing he is the well-beloved son in whom God is well-pleased. And we want to align ourselves with him in order that when he sees us, he sees his son who died for us. But that requires more than just one-day affirmation of faith. It requires a life lived based on that faith. And the way that we live our lives should show what we truly believe. It should show that we have realigned ourselves from those sinful desires, from worshiping or going after any of those things, to aligning ourselves with Jesus, which should mean that our character and our, our thoughts— should be flowing in the same direction that his flow. So while it's a wonderful thing that Jesus aligned himself with us, it gives us the opportunity to align ourselves with him, to recognize and to say with the Father, he is the beloved Son, and in him I am well pleased. And the way we live our lives shows whether or not we are well pleased in Jesus, whether he is enough. He came and did all this for us. He had no need to do so, but he did it in obedience to the Father and love for the Father and for us, those who were created in his image. And so what, what our response to the baptism of Jesus should be is the renewal of those baptismal vows that I just read to you about, those renunciations and then the turning to. You turn away from and then you turn to. And so what, we, what our response to Jesus' baptism should be is great thanks and worship and a renewal of our own baptismal covenant.